Hi everyone, Lucas Werner here. If you've been enjoying these conversations about art and culture, you might want to check out the newest releases from David's Werner Books, where we've published award-winning titles on Diane Arbus, Yayoi Kusama, and Carrie James Marshall, in addition to Ekphrasis, the critically acclaimed series of texts on art. This season, look out for books from the likes of Catherine Bernhardt, Noah Davis, and Marcel Zama, as well as new additions to the beloved Ekphrasis series. Visit davidswernerbooks.com to learn more. Hi everyone, Lucas Werner here. I'm excited to be back on the feed to bring you our first new episode of the fall. We'll be releasing several special episodes over the coming months, leading up to the launch of season eight. Subscribe wherever you get your podcast to receive updates. And should you find yourself in New York, Los Angeles, Paris, London, or Hong Kong, be sure to check out the exciting slate of fall and winter exhibitions at David's Werner locations worldwide. More information available at davidswerner.com. I hope you enjoy. From David's Werner, this is Dialogues, a podcast about artists and the way they think. Hi, everybody. It's your host, Helen Molesworth. Today, I'm bringing you a very special episode, a live conversation we recorded over the summer with Enjadeka Akunyuli Crosby at her inaugural show at David's Werner Los Angeles, an extraordinary exhibition of paintings titled Coming Back to See Through Again. Luckily, for those of you on the East Coast, the show is now on view at David's Werner New York. I hope you enjoy it. So we are here today, uh, myself and Enjadeka. We are here in her first show, actually, at David Werner. And it's so great to be in the room with the work, talking with the artist. All, to have all those things happen at the same time feels like just such a privilege. And so... Enjadeka and I, we met a long time ago now. You were up for some kind of prize. At, in right? New York. In New York. The drawing center. At the drawing center. And you were wearing this dress. <laughs> and I was wearing that dress. Not the same one. <laughs> and Enjadeka, of course, won the prize. And at the end of it, I knew, I mean, it was my first, I think, major encounter with your work. And at the end of it, she came up to me and said, I, I love that dress. And I was incredibly flattered because here's this beautiful woman telling me she loves my dress. And I, like a fool, I was like, oh my God, do you want to see the label? I, and then years later, when I worked at a certain institution here in Los Angeles, I bought a work of Enjadeka's for the collection in which she is in the work wearing the dress, but she had painted it in different colors. So I actually hadn't recognized it. And I remember being at a party or something and Enjadeka saying to me, did you buy that work because of the dress? <laughs> like, did you see that like I'm wearing the dress? And today I, I thought about the dress and I thought, I'm not going to wear the dress. It's too much to wear the dress. And of course, then Enjadeka, being cooler than I am, walked in in the dress. And so now I'm like so bummed out I'm not wearing the dress since 
it's a real testament to the dress that it looks as great on both of us. And we have like totally different bodies and totally different skin tones. And the dress is just like one of those dresses. I like it so much. I have to. No. <laughs> you know, when you're just like, I'm worried this will wear out. So I have to find another one. But as I was leaving, I was like, oh, God, I'm going to walk in and Helen will be wearing this dress. <laughs> and then it'll be like this weird image where we look like twins. I know. Well, we, well, we sort of, we would look like, like we were in one of your works, you know, just like we were trying to kind of pattern logic each other. So anyway, so that was, that's the beginning of my relationship with, with Njedeka, but I've been following the work for, since then, which is sometime in the teens. And one of the things that I'm continually impressed about Njedeka's work is the degree to which you have really built out your own pictorial language while remaining so firmly in the wheelhouse of like Western picture making. And this is not an easy thing to do, to, to make a new language and to, to develop it while still residing or being very at home in one of the oldest picture-making languages we have, which is Western representational painting. I wanted to talk a little bit about, at first, this, this visual language that you've been developing. And some of its hallmarks are the use of paper as a, as a substrate, the use of what I can only call just like a kind of vast picture archive, the use of this transfer technique to move this picture archive from the aqueous version of the internet into this analog paper technology. You have developed this way of nesting all of these images kind of inside one another. There's a kind of Russian doll quality to the work where just when you think you understand the form you're looking at, there's another form within that form and or there's a, a there's a collapsing or an expanding of a spatial dimension. So you're kind of constantly as a viewer being brought into a picture that you think you know where you're going and then all of a sudden you're, I, I'm kind of like, oh, like, oh, what, here, here I am right up against the picture plane or here I am in deeper space. And in this body of work, one of the things I was so excited when I first saw it was that you're both continuing this language, but you've also, I would argue that there's a big major new addition in this work, and that is your use of plants, and particularly trees, or things that sort of look like trees, behave like trees in the picture. And when your work first came out, a lot of people talked about your use of textile patterns, and you yourself talked about how textiles that we associate with various African traditions actually were coming from the Netherlands or they had been produced with Chinese silk. Like you were, you were very aware that a textile, not unlike our dress story, was smuggling into your pictures an enormous amount of information. And now it seems to me the plants are, are doing a similar kind of work. Like they're they're almost like stowaways in the picture. You know, they, they're just bringing with them a whole bunch of information. 
And I wondered if you could, if we could talk about two things. One, if you could just talk about the introduction of, of this kind of verdant foliage and trees into the pictures. And then maybe if we could talk just a little bit about trees, because there's all this new scientific information about trees. The way, we th the way we were taught trees as kids is not how people think about trees now. And so I wondered if maybe we could just start a little bit about like talking about the import of all of this new material into the language. I'm excited to talk about plants. If you've heard me talk in the last year, I'm sure you heard me talk of how much I love plants and I've become a pretty uh, intense gardener in my free time. Uh, but before I answer the question, I wanted to second Helen in thanking everybody for being here tonight. I really appreciate you all coming to hear us talk about this show. So the introduction of plants in my work happened after I moved to Los Angeles. I tend to go into storytelling, so I have to try and pull myself back a bit. But I started telling you a little bit of this, which is that we had just moved to LA and we had this house with a little bit of a yard in front, but it was very unkept. It was just dry grass and cactus. And a friend of mine from Carlat, Mike Richards, was helping me out in the studio. And there was this week where it was so hot, we moved the work to the house and we were working at home. And he was embarrassed by how horrible the yard looked. And he said, in Judeca, I love plants. Let me help you design your yard. I will pick the plants. I'll map out where things go. And I just thought, fine, do it. Good luck. I kill everything, every plant I own. And so he, he I think what really hooked me was because, you know, somebody just says, I'm going to put plants for you. I thought, okay, he's going to go to a nursery. He'll buy a bunch of plants. But he kept me in the loop of what he was doing. And he'll come over with all these papers and the research he's done. And he'll be like, oh, look at this plant. This is a plant that comes from Australia, but it's now found here and it's drought tolerant. Or like, oh, we could do this plant. It's found in this area, but it migrated to that area. And I think that was the first time I started noticing that plants were, carry histories with them. And it's something I'm interested in my work, like with the textile. I'm always looking for those things that imbue the work with other cultural or political or historic information. Because I feel there's so much I'm trying to say in one rectangle that if I can find those things that expand on my interest, I want to work with them. And so listening to Mike talk about plants and their histories and how they've migrated around the world, I think that's when I really started thinking of plants and how plants do that. And then something else he brought to my attention because my studio back then was pretty far east LA and he would always point out to me that there were these beautiful plants all over the place. And eventually we started talking to somebody who had one of those plants and the plant was plumeria. And the person was telling us like they came from Southern America, uh, uh, from farther South in, in Americas and that where they used to live, there were a lot of plumeria. So Mike and I started talking about if there was a lot of plumeria in East LA because people had 
moved with them or people planted them to remind them of home. And so that's how I started thinking of plants and then thinking of the plants I had encountered growing up in Nigeria and that the plants I really, I think I just started paying attention more. Like whenever I went back home or whenever I looked at pictures of home, looking at plants that were very symbolic to me and thinking of things like, have I seen this plant outside of Eastern Nigeria? Is this a plant that I associate with Lagos and not Enugu? Is this a plant that has moved out of here? Is this a plant that is cosmopolitan or native? And things like that. So then I start working those themes with the plants into my work. I really, I, I love this idea that the plants are also migratory, right? That they, that we are bringing them with us or they are bringing us with them. And so there's something about the way the plants are functioning in these pictures, the way they seem to be taking over and how, you know, sometimes like, You've made decisions, it seems to me, in that picture. You know, you walk up and you think, oh, it's three kinds of plants, but then the rubber tree doesn't have images embedded in the leaves, but this other plant does have images embedded in the leaves. And something that seems simple from far away becomes increasingly complicated as you get closer and closer to it. And even that description, it's sort of like a metaphor or a description of it. That's not just what's happening in the picture, right? Like that's sort of like what's happening in life. Mm -hmm. And I wondered if those sorts of ideas were infiltrating your thinking when you're making this work. Um, yes, they do to some extent. And um, I moved to Los Angeles in 2014. And at that point, I remember just like taking stock of my practice and kind of feeling like something different needed to happen to it. I felt it was maybe too rigid and like the, the architecture, I, I kind of always put my figures in these very rigid architectural spaces, which I still enjoy doing, but I felt like I wanted something to break it up a bit. I wanted to introduce a little bit of disorder to the work. Mm. And it's not something that comes to me naturally, not in real life, in my work. <laughs> I am not very, I am quite messy in real life. But with the work, there's a lot of planning and I mean, control seems negative, but something along that line. And I wanted to break out of it a bit. And I think plants lend themselves well to that because they're not, um, it's, it's like, a, they're very regular. Mm -hmm. And I think, uh, I don't know if this is what you're talking about, like the irregularity mm -hmm. is something I really liked introducing to my work because I think with my practice, I like playing with dualities, like the noisy parts, thinking of the transfers with very quiet areas, like um, the blue flat background. Um, I play a lot. So I, the things I kind of think of playing with is noisy, quiet, mm. past, present. Mm. I mean, the obvious one is Nigeria here, but even things like small town, big city, because I grew up in a small town. 
Then I went to boarding school in a big city. So I'm always thinking of pitting all these different things with each other. And I wanted something to play against the, the, the lines and edges I had. And the plants were uh, and something that did that. Right. Um, there's something about the, the irregularity and the way they broke the space up in in a more unpredictable way that I, I liked leaning into. I mean, that makes sense to me because I think one of the things anyone knows who's ever tried to paint or draw a tree or a bouquet of flowers is that you think when you're looking at it, like, oh, I can do that because it's flat. And then the minute you start, you're like, um... I don't even know where the foreground and the background are anymore because this is so, you know, the, the way the thing occupies space is, is so complicated. Like plants actually don't have fronts and backs. Mm -hmm. You know, they're really constantly in the round. So they're like a very difficult thing to render. I have a more pedestrian question. I'm curious, when do you decide or how do you decide what gets filled with a transfer and what doesn't? Like what, what gets to remain what it quote unquote is and what is allowed to do this other work of, of pulling this, this image archive into the picture? Yeah, oh, thanks for that question. I think sometimes people think there's a formula to it and it's not and that's why it changes from work to work. So... So this is a hard question for me to answer without, if I'm not in my studio, because in the studio I can actually pull out the, the drawings of the different stages. So at some point in the work, the, the composition is figured out and the drawing exists on the paper as a line drawing. So, the draw so like not only the seated figure with the child and the physical space, but all of the plants are also drawn out on the paper. Yes. It takes wow. a long time to get to that point, but at some point, right. um, the drawing. So like, for instance, with this work, with um, Still You Bloom in This Land of No Gardens, I, I knew from the start that I wanted it to be an image of me sitting with my legs crossed um, behind a plant and in front of a plant with a doorway behind me looking into the dining room. So that was very clear for, to me from the early sketches I made. So with a work like that, um, I recruited my husband. He was the photographer and we did like a session where we shot the pictures. And so I had the drawing of me and the kid just from multiple pictures seemed together to get things exactly how I wanted. But I didn't have the plants. Those plants were not with me. Um, so that's one where I have to pause. Then I have to go into my plant archives. I have to do research to figure out the exact plants I wanted. So the plant in front of me ended up coming from the Huntington. Mm -hmm. I just went because they have plants from all over the world. I went there. I knew exactly the kind of plant I wanted. The plant behind me was um, an image I found online. The creeping plant is um, a Madagascar jasmine that is actually from my backyard, but somewhere else. And the Monstera is also a plant I own. And the, Luc the Lucifer plant, the orange one, is also a plant I own from my garden. So, But they're all separate. So I collage the drawing together 
I think the inside of the door wasn't figured out, but it was fine. So I have it as a line drawing. So what I do at that point, so with any of these pieces, when I have the line drawing phase, I take a picture of it and I print it out on a eight and a half by 11. And I print out maybe 10 of those. And I mean, this is probably one of those things you can do in Photoshop, but I'm very analog. I don't, I don't I hate technology. Um, so I just one paper at a time. I just pick one up and I take um, either an ink wash or a Sharpie and I start filling in where I think the transfers should go. Oh, wow. um, but when I'm doing those, I'm, I'm, not, I'm trying to not think of, oh, the transfers should be on the floor, the transfers. I'm actually just thinking of how do I break this rectangle into interesting shapes? Mm-hmm. Um, so what I do is, and I'm thinking of how I want the shapes to connect to each other. Um, so sometimes I'll have prompts for myself, like I want the transfer to come in from the top left and explode into the middle and contract again. Or I might say like, I want the transfer to trickle down from the top and bloom into the bottom. So I do all these tests and the reason why I like using Sharpies is because they bleed through the paper. So I do like 10 of them and then I turn them around. Is this getting too technical? <laughs> no, no, no. I'm, I'm, I'm sure everybody's like, oh my God. Every new step, everyone in the audience is like, damn, okay. <laughs> there's another step. Keep going. Okay, so then I turn them around and I line them up on the wall. So at that point, I'm not seeing the images. I'm not seeing the objects anymore. I'm just seeing the shapes. So everywhere that I've colored with Sharpie bleeds through the paper and everything else stays white. So I turn it around and I'm just looking at the back. And then I'm just, I make the decision by the one that is the most interesting shape. shape. And then I turn it around and I was like, oh, so that's where the transfer goes. So for me, it's a way to like abstract the work. Right. And it's interesting to me, the abstraction in the work, and these I think more than any of the other bodies of work of yours I've seen, are really flirting with a kind of abstraction in their structure because I can see all the plants, but I also see the way they act as a kind of all over composition. They, mm-hmm. they, I mean, you make all this, you clearly build up this space and then you kind of let the plants destroy mm-hmm. the space that you very laboriously <laughs> made. And so that, that part of them, I think, is really, really strong. So I have a question that I fear may sound, I don't know, not contentious, but I'm curious about it. We, we in the art world, we all refer to you as a painter. And you are a painter, but are you really? <laughs> because you're also like a master collagist. Do you know what I mean? Like you, like more than anyone I know, you are involved in a kind of collage as a, as a fundamental structure of, of your picture making. And I guess, I'm just curious about this tension in the work, which is very productive visually, 
between a kind of flat painted plane and a, a very highly collaged plane that happens through the transfer. But like, how do you, I mean, do you think of, like, do you think you're a painter? <laughs> um, I am very happy that you said I'm a painter. I don't always feel that way. Um, I don't know, Sean, Sean or Sarah here. I, I have two incredible people who helped me out in the studio, um, Sean and Sarah. And Sarah just started working not too long ago. But whenever I have people who come to help, whether it's Mike or my partner or Sarah or Sean or whoever, I'm always telling them, I feel like as I'm trying to walk them through how to help me, I always say things like, I'm not, I'm not a painter the way people think I am. <laughs> and I think maybe the reason why I said it is because I went to the Pennsylvania Academy of the Fine Arts. Um, so, I mean, I studied with you know, painters, painters, capital P <laughs> painters. Um, so I think maybe what, I mean, what I'm thinking is like, if I'm trying to think of something simple, like if I'm painting a cylinder, I'm trying that maybe I don't have any cylinders in this in anything here. But if I'm painting a cylinder, I really break it down. It's almost like this is going to be embarrassing. So it's like painting ABCs. I mix three colors: dark, a medium, and a light. And it's like I paint the dark, I paint the darks in the edges the medium in the middle, the lights down. So I think what I'm trying to say is I paint as if I, I'm drawing. So what I actually feel very comfortable with is my charcoal drawings. Um, so maybe that's what I'll call myself. A charcoal uh, drawer? <laughs> <laughs> I feel like um, when I paint, I think of myself doing charcoal drawings with color. So they are very value intense i mean a, a good one is if you look at the pink pants back there it, the rendering is value driven right it's dark mids lights some highlights some dark darks but i felt like if i was a painter in the sense of like the painters i looked up to there should be yellow you know it's like where is the yellow light reflected in the pink that kind of stuff like where is the brown in so I, in that way, I don't think of myself. Maybe right. it's like I'm not a colorist. That's what it is. I know, but um, Deca, I can't so, let that stand because look at the colors in this. Like um, you're totally a colorist. I struggled with color in graduate school and I'm, Peter Halley was one of my teachers and he was incredibly helpful in that department. And whenever people compliment my colors, um, it's very heartening for me. And I, it's, I, like, I treasure it because I feel color is actually something... I struggle with and I have to really mm. push myself to my comfort zone with colors is very dull earth colors and I have to push myself out of it. But anyway, to wrap up the, if I think of myself as a painter, I don't know. I feel like I, I think of myself as a bit of everything, mm. but I actually do like that because I want work that sits in a space between right. different things. This thing that straddles painting and drawing and collage and printmaking. And I think something that happened, that has happened in my career that made me very happy is that I was invited to be in the vitamin D series. And then later on, I was invited to be in the vitamin P series. So the D series is for 
um, drawings. It's a collection of artists who do drawings. And then the P series was painters. Right. And then I was invited to be in the vitamin C series where it was collage. I was like, yay. <laughs> <laughs> I love that the work really sits in all those spaces because the one of the big themes I'm thinking about is my life and all the places I've lived. And I want to make work that talks about being someone who has existed in all those different spaces. So I love that the way the work is made kind mm. of follows, follows that theme. That's a great segue to another question I wanted to ask you. I've listened to a lot of interviews you've given and I know that you you often cite Kwame Anthony Apia, who is the the sort of great scholar of cos of who gives us the idea of cosmopolitanism, and Apia uses the figure of the cosmopolitan subject, of which we probably in this room we exemplify some of the cos the characteristics of a cosmopolitan subject. We are not bound by. We don't, we perhaps don't live in the small town we grew up in. Uh, we are not bound necessarily by the nation state. We imagine ourselves to be citizens of the world. We are all involved in this cultural space that actually gives us access to uh, many different countries and cultures. Like we always have a way in. And the cosmopolitan figure is often imagined as someone who moves around the world with great ease and with great erudition, and that they're, they're the opposite of someone who is provincial, right? They're city folk rather than country folk. Uh, these divisions are charged and political, and maybe in some ways at the, at the very root of some of the problems we have today. And I, too, have taken Apia's work very seriously. I mean, it was at the root of my Black Mountain College show. But the figure of the cosmopolitan subject is all also typically imaged with a certain kind of detachment, because that's what lets you leave home, is your capacity to be detached. And so I feel this in the pictures. I feel this, this leaving home, this worldliness, this image bank that comes from Nigeria married to this Western pictorial tradition. But I also feel something else in the work, which is sentiment or sentimentality, that the work is also suffused with feelings of loss, a haunting of the past, uh, like this quality of, of caretaking, of, of holding, of, 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 of something really poignant in the work, even as the work is so cosmopolitan. And I wonder if, if that, does that make sense to you? And how do you think about squaring? Do you try to square them or do you let them be attention? I'm, I'm just curious. No, I'm laughing at you saying, does that make sense to you? Because the whole time you're talking, I'm looking at you going, damn, you're good. Um, because it's something maybe I'm, even more lately realizing about my work is the loss um, that I feel. But you know, it's, uh, I was thinking recently of, maybe I did a talk in the past where someone asked how I start collecting the images. 
And I think it had to do with that loss. Um, I started collect, like really started collecting images in 2010, 2009, 2010, when I was in graduate school. And at that point, it had been about 10 years since I had left home. And it, you know, it's like, even though I go home, at that point, I used to go home once or twice every year. Like I was going home fairly regularly. I mean, twice a year is pretty regular. Um, but it was apparent to me every time I went back home that I was more, a little bit more of an outsider. Um, because, and that's part of why I, Nigeria plays such a big part in my work is it's such an exciting space and it's a space that is constantly, I mean, everywhere is changing, but it changes at such a fast rate because of how dynamic it is culturally. And it's almost like every time I went back, you know, I was that person who will drop a slang and people look at you like, nobody says that anymore. <laughs> Oh, oh, it's like, you're talking about this music. And it's like, that was from last year. So I always felt like whenever I went home, I used to play this kind of game of, can I fool people into thinking I belong here? I remember this one time I went to the market and I speak my language, I speak my local language fluently. And I'm talking to the guy and I'm speaking Igbo and we're like <laughs> talking about something I want to buy. And then finally he goes, my sister, in my language, he goes, my sister, you have dollars. And I remember I was just like, how did he know I don't live here? And then I'll go home and I'll ask like a friend, like, like, look at me, tell me what gave me away. And they'll always say something like, oh, your shoes, nobody wears that in Jideka. <laughs> and then that's the kind of stuff I'll want to use in my work. Like what happens if I create a character that is wearing like this Nigerian designer, but those shoes that kind of give you away as you don't belong here anymore. Um, but you know, it's, it, the loss is something that is a big part of the work because it, it, it's, it's like my formative years happened in this space. And I'm at that point where I've spent longer in the States than I actually right. have in Nigeria. And I feel myself moving farther and farther away from the country. And it's something I've been thinking a lot about. Yeah, just how, how long will this connection last? It feels like right. I'm trying to, desperately trying to hold on to something right. that is moving away from me. Mm, mm. But I also feel like it's, it's also such an integral part of my life because of those formative memories mm -hmm. that... You know, it's never not going to be a part of me, but it doesn't, the relationship is changing and I'm still trying to process it. Right. I have one more question I'd like to ask you about something that I think has been a through line in your work. I feel like the work has something to do with hospitality, but I can't quite put my finger on it. I feel like often when I look at the work that a, like a table has been laid, a room has been opened, an invitation has been made to, that I as a viewer can, can enter the space you've created. I think it has something to do with how often your figures are situated in a domestic interior that we feel we've been invited into. Some of the earlier work was quite conscious about teapots and trays with 
the accoutrements of tea. I always felt like I had arrived as a guest to your picture, you know, and, and that there was also something maybe about the transfer technique that you're always bringing all these other people and ideas and texture, color with you. You know, they don't have to be there. The picture would work without any of the transfer. You know, we, you've already told us, like, we know now that even the transfer adheres to a shape rather than a narrative structure. And so I wonder if the word hospitality, uh, how, how that feels to you as a way to describe some of what is happening in these pictures. I like that. I haven't used that word in my mind or th thought, I haven't had that word pop up in my head in my studio in relation to my work, but the themes you're describing around it, yes. Um, which is when I'm making the works, I'm always thinking of the person in front of it having this, like, I I'll talk about it as the full body experience with the work, um, really wanting to create something that wraps around the viewer where they're in front of it and they get pulled into the space I'm creating. And it was more apparent in the, the T-series um, but even like with the table back there where you feel like you're standing. So I'll play with perspective. So you feel like you're standing right in front of the table with the book and the jerry can and the kettle. But I think it has to do with this thing you talked about earlier. Like I want to pull you into a space, but also have moments where the space flattens again. So there is this push-pull happening, this like, falling in and getting pulled back and going in and getting pulled out. And I think it also has to do with the way I want people to navigate the work when they're up close. So I'm, when I'm making the composition, I'm thinking of how you view it from afar. But then when you're up close, the relationship changes. So like from afar, you feel you're looking into a window, into this created space. But when you're up close, I want you to feel pulled into the space, which is probably why a lot of things are very large. Um, I want you to feel pulled into the space. And then as you start moving across the picture plane and looking at the transfers or the flat, flat walls or other flat places, you're kind of, it's almost like you're, you're recalibrating how you're processing the images in front of you. Um, but I mean, I, I think the, the work I feel it the most for is this, this piece. It's actually one of my, I know it's like, it's, it's probably one of the most simple ones in the show, but it's one of my favorite pieces. Um, because that's a work I had, you know, it's like the piece I had in my mind for a very long time. I wanted something in my studio that I could stand in front of and just feel like I stepped into Lagos. <laughs> I don't know how else to explain it. Um, and I mean, it's had to boil Lagos. Is, it, it's had to distill Lagos into a picture. It's so chaotic. Um, but I was thinking of very strong architectural elements that I associate with Lagos. And I was thinking of the screen walls and the tree in front of it is some, in Nigeria, we call it fruit tree. That's how ubiquitous it is. Like, Right. You could talk to anybody who grew up in Nigeria and say, what is a fruit tree? And they know what you're talking about. Right. We don't have any other name for it. 
Um, some people call it umbrella trees, but they are everywhere. Um, so it's this um, putting the fruit tree and the screen wall together. And I love that piece because when I'm in front of it, I really feel um, surrounded by home. I, I mm. feel like it's wrapping around me. Um, so I, I do like when pieces do that. Mm, that's beautiful. And Jadeka, thank you for making just these extraordinary pictures and for being such a wonderful artist and sharing your work with us. It's Thank really, you. really beautiful. Thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you all for coming. Sorry, I want to say thank you so much, Helen. You make it easy. <laughs> thank you, thank you. And thanks for all the wonderful questions. Dialogues is produced by David Werner. If you like this episode, please follow, rate, and review us on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you listen. It really does help the show. Thanks so much for tuning in. I hope you join us here next time.